Good morning, church. I am I'm, I'm full of emotion. I'm mixed emotion. I am excited. Uh, every time I stand in front of you, even to give announcements, I'm, uh, I'm touched with how much I love you. I'm overwhelmed when I sit and, uh, and really ponder how much we have experienced your love. And I know full well we don't deserve it, but I'm so, so, so grateful. I brag about you uh, because of the way you love us. Uh, I think that's okay. So I'm humbled to be here this morning. I'm excited to share God's Word with you. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, Pastor Dan has been going through the book of 1 John, and uh, one of the things 1 John is written for is so that you might know joy and fellowship. 1 John 1, 3, and uh, Pastor Daniel set it up as, this is written by an old man caring for his church, and so here I are. Uh, I'm serious. Uh, my, w- when you preach three or four times a year, uh, you get to pick certain sex segments of Scripture. It's very difficult to do that. But I want you to understand who I am and why I chose this passage. It's coming from a guy who is on the other side of middle age. Uh, I've had a lot of time to think about that, and I'm, I'm beginning to think more and more about us as a family. So I want to have a family conversation this morning. And I chose the book of Ephesians because Paul wrote that as a pastor to his church that he loves, and this letter is written to you specifically. When the, I love to tell people this when I do counseling. When we open God's Word, the words we read off that page, you know the Holy Spirit had you in mind when you read it. And that's what this text is this morning, is a message to a family who call themselves believers. And I want to talk to you about that the way I believe Paul might have if he were here, from the eyes of an old man like John. I want you to hear my heart in this because uh, Janelle and I have, um, we've been married 37 years, I forgot from the hour before, Uh, and uh, I've been a believer for 39 years, and she and I have been involved in biblical counseling and soul care, discipleship kind of caring ministries for the last 15 years. I say all that to say this. What I share with you this morning is, is a combination of passion for people who hurt from experience of 15 years of literally sitting in seats of the tearful and weeping with people who weep, and I desperately want you to get the truth that I'm going to share with you this morning, because I have seen lives fall apart because we do not answer the three questions I'm going to pose to you today. We do not answer them the way God would call us to answer them. So I want to talk about those three, three questions. I also am coming from the, the, the experience of watching somebody come to these questions and face them 
with God's Word, listen to what God's Word has to say and answer those questions biblically and watch them blossom. And that's what gets me fired up. I'm also coming to you this morning as, a, as, a, as a, an elder in this church. I'm one of ten elders. Uh, I'm just one of ten. But as the, with the privilege of leading God's people, I, I want you to see Christ exalted. I want you to see that this is all about King Christ and it is not about us. I believe when, when we come to that point, we will experience what 1 John wrote for, joy and fellowship. He says, I write this to you so you would have fellowship with us because our fellowship was, is with God. That's what I want you to, to grasp here uh, this morning. So let me, let me just explain a little bit to you about these, first, these questions I want to ask. I want to ask who you are. What does the Bible say, church, believer, we're talking church people here, we're talking God's people here, what does God say about you? How would He have you answer, who am I? Second question, why are you here? What would God's Word have you answer that question with? And the third question is, uh, what are you going to do about the answer to the first two? How are you going to respond? Now, I'm convinced... I'm convinced that every single person in this room has already answered these three questions. I'll tell you why. I'll, let me show you why. Several weeks ago, our family got together at our house, and uh, our, we had seven, six grandkids, and all the kids were home, and spouses, and the house is full of people, and our four-year-old grandson comes to Papa's house. He busts in the front door, runs into the, into the living room, and he goes... I'm here. Now, that four-year-old is a philosopher and he is a theologian. And he knows exactly who he is. And he proclaimed it gloriously. You know what he said? Who am I? I am the center of my universe. True? There are some 40-year-olds in here that still say that, 60-year-olds that still say that. You know the second question, what is my purpose? You know what he's saying? His eyes, you should have seen it, you know, <clears throat> ear to ear, chin to forehead, grin. Why am I here? To have fun. And the third question is, how is he going to respond to that? I want what I want when I want it, and you are going to make sure that happens. Am I telling the truth? That's the way we live. I looked at him, and I thought, I see me. I have the same theological problem that he does. And I would argue that every person in this room, you know exactly what I'm saying, and you struggle with this. And I want to help you think through it with me as I learn what these, what these questions need to really be saying and how I need to be answering them, I should say. Here's what happens if you don't. Here's what happens if you don't answer those questions. Moms and dads, you, you are going to pressure, manipulate, position, cajole, and force your kids to look like, act like, and be like something that makes you look good if you don't know who you are 
biblically. If you don't answer this question biblically, husbands, your time, your wife, your kids, your job, your hobby time, your thought life is going to be all about you. Young people, the voices, the cacophony of voices of this world are going to tell you who you are. You, you know what our, our, our culture talks about peer pressure? You know what peer pressure is? It's what I think you think I'm thinking. That's like feet planted firmly in midair. You will live like that if you don't know and answer this question, who am I from a biblical perspective? That is why I am passionate about helping you think through these questions. Now, I'm also passionate about and believe firmly that God's Word answers these questions literally from Genesis to Revelation, and you're going to find answers all over the pages of this book. Well, <clears throat> I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 because uh, that, I believe that book addresses this question. Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us what happens if we don't get here. In other words, if we don't answer these questions, here's what it looks like. If we do not know who we are, if we don't answer the question, who am I, as believers, it is going to be soap bubbles. Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this, vanity of vanity, thus saith the preacher, all is soap bubbles. That's literally what he's saying when he says vanity of vanities. He's literally saying life is soap bubbles. And I believe, I, we have watched people, you've seen people as celebrities, you've watched them chase their dreams to try and find soap bubbles, trying to figure out who they are, and they never get there. Ephesians is going to help us answer these questions, and I'm going to, I'm going to exhort you. There's going to be some things you learn today that maybe you've never thought of before, uh, I'm going to guess that it's going to push back against your nature. I want you to hear my heart. My heart is not to scold. I do want to challenge. And my end goal is that God is glorified and you are comforted and find joy and fellowship. And we will get there, I believe, if we listen to what God's Word has to say. Paul writes to the Ephesian church to tell them who they are, what their purpose is, and how to respond, watch me, how they respond in community with one another. This is how to live together as a church. So in chapter 1, what he does, what he does is he starts to proclaim the glory of the gospel and what the gospel has done for them. Then in verse 14, he prays, God opened their eyes so they would see hope. God Help them see the riches in Christ that they already have that they might understand the power that the gospel brings to you as a believer. All that 
to set up chapter 2. Chapter 2, you're very familiar with chapter 2. We're going to read verses 10, 1 through 10. Chapter 2, 1 through 10. But it is not, this is not a proclamation of how to be saved. We use it all the time to share the gospel, and that's fine. It's appropriate. But this is not about how to be saved. This is, look up here. Paul has just built a crescendo of the glory and power and riches of the gospel. And he says, I hope you get it. And then he reminds us what that power did for us. So that we are wowed and awed and owned. And then we're willing to come together as a church to live as a family. So please rise. Please stand. And let's read from Ephesians chapter 2. You, that's believers, church family, were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in our passions, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, notice the tense, you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift, the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please bow. What a glorious God you are. What an amazing work you have done. Lord, we've come together as a family to talk about how we respond. Please open our eyes that we might see the hope, the riches, and the power in King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. God's word solves that little four-year-old problem of here I am. How? Well, Paul starts with a description of who you once were before he defines who we are. So not a very glorious um, description, so I, but I want you to get this. So I, on, on the left side of your notes, I want you to draw a little tombstone. So those of you who are artists or not artists, look, it's real complicated. Just draw a tombstone. On the left side of your page... And just write on the front of that tombstone, dead, D-E-A-D. That's who you were. Brother and sister, if you are going to understand your identity, it is really important to know where you were. But it is all, we're going to land where I are. Bad English, good theology works. You were dead. Why were I dead? It says, you were dead in sin and trespasses. You, in which you once walked, followed the course. You were a Satan follower. You were a son of a disobedience. 
he says. That's the I used to be identity. You're a passion-driven person. Past tense. <clears throat> That's who you were, dead. Now, not very glamorous. Listen, brothers and sisters, we, I believe, need to learn to be honest. When we think and look in the mirror, think about ourselves, let's be honest. There is nothing glamorous about dead people. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. What are we bragging about if that's true? There are sometimes I believe we just need to get over ourselves and just recognize there ain't much here. But God, two words. To the, in the middle of your page, just write those two words, but God. But God. You see, God took a dead person and did something, which our new identity now as believers, you sit here today with a new identity. It says, look at this, made alive in Christ. Four words, that's who you are. Write that, write, draw a little stick person on the right side of your page and identify yourself, I'm made alive, I'm in Christ. That's who, that's who God says you are if you trust Christ as your perfection and your sin debt payment. That's who you are. Dead person, live person, but God, how did I get from here to here? Did you, did you do anything, believer, anything to get from here to here? No. God, who's rich in mercy, Moved me from here to here. Why? Because of His great love. That's who I am. So part of your identity is, I'm made alive, but I'm also loved with a great love. And I, I believe there's often times when we are shocked when we sin. We look in the mirror, or at 2 o'clock in the morning, we wake up and we start thinking about who we, we really are. And we, we, if we don't know this identity question, we're going to be stunned can't believe I did that. We shouldn't be surprised when we sin. We should be surprised we don't sin worse if we know who we are. We're sinners saved by grace but still struggling with sin. But God is a rich and merciful God and He has bought me now. My new identity is made alive. Now, let's look at chapter 1 to talk about why He's explaining what happened. Look at chapter 1 to see more about your identity. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, you're a saint. You're a saint. What does that mean? Look up here. It means, watch me, saint. The word saint means that I have been chosen and set apart for a specific purpose, God's holy purpose. That's what that one word means. And he goes on to expand it. Verse, uh, verse 4, He chose us. When? Before time began. Why? To make me holy and blameless. That's who you are if you're a believer, even though you may not act like it. He identifies you differently than your experience might. Adopted as sons, I'm not dead, I'm adopted. I'm redeemed. Looking at verse 7. I'm forgiven. 
That's who I am. And brothers and sisters, as believers in Christ, if you forget this position, dead made alive, made holy, you're going to run from God when you sin. You're not going to remember that he paid the price, all of it, and has chosen you as adopted, as in a, per a permanent relationship with him, and he is going to stay with you, and he is going to make sure that you are glorified someday, even though you're struggling right now. That is security. That is safety. That is comfort. That is joy. That is pleasure. Everything that we used to seek is now in Christ because of my identity, you see? Who are you? Believer, do you know this? Do you preach this truth to yourself, made alive? Do you do it every day when you feel insecure or scared or fearful? I'm, I'm concerned that God's people walk around as though they were, um, well, there was a, a Civil War slave that uh, uh, lost his master. His master died, and the slave owner left this uh, slave $50,000 of his, of his uh, estate. Now, that's a lot of money now, but back then... Tons and tons and tons of money. Slave. He didn't uh, do anything with it. For months went by. Finally, the banker came, called him, and sent for him. He went into the bank. The banker said, what's, what's the problem? There's been no draw on your account. Here's what the slave said, and here's what we do if we forget we are adopted sons of God with all of the riches in Christ already. He said, do you think I could have 50 cents to buy a loaf of bread? He had 50 grand. He didn't know the value of what he had. And I want to challenge you to start to think bigger and see Christ high and lifted up. The hope and the riches and the power that you have because of your identity in Christ. There's a second identity I want you to think about today, and this is what I, where I think we start to push back, and that's this. Turn to uh, chapter 2, verse 19 of Ephesians, and it tells you more about identity and more about your, your position. Verse 19, you were no longer strangers and aliens, no longer, no longer dead, all right, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the prophets, apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. That's why we need a family conversation because we are not saved to stand alone. So now on the right side of your page, over the top of that little stick person, draw a church. Because now what we find in our identity here is we have been handpicked and placed into the body of Christ, the church. And we are to 
work together and grow together in community. That's what 1 John is all about, fellowship. The word fellowship in 1 John 3 means that we share in and we share with. We share in the life of Christ and we share with each other everything that God has given to us, including, as Kirk prayed, talent and time and treasure. You see, by identity, God pronounces you set apart for a specific use in a specific place, and that's the body of Christ. There are so many metaphors for, for, for the church, we can't talk about it all, but the word church itself means called out ones, called out ones in the assembly. That's who we are. We are the ones who have been called out of death to life, and we're called together to serve. Identity, part of the church, part of the body, part of the bride, part of the building, part of the household of God. That's who we are. <clears throat> so here's the bottom line of who am I. I am an adopted child brought into a permanent relationship with the body. And I cannot tell you I don't have time for you. In fact, you have more in common with me than you do with your unsaved siblings because of what the scriptures say. We are by identity in union with Christ. And that brings us in union with Christ's body. You might say, well, no, I can't get along with so-and-so. There's just too much animosity. He just talks about animosity with the Jew and the Gentile. He says, look up here. He says, the Jew and the Gentile are going to be one in the body. Enemies socially, enemies religiously, enemies ethnically are brought into oneness in the body, in the church. By identity, you are one with me, whether you like me or not. Now, adopted, placed in the body. That, that truth is such a blessing to me. I love loving God's people. 1 John 1 joy just bubbles when I find myself loving God's people. Citizenship in the family is a stunning blessing. That's who I am and that's who you are if you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior. You are part of His church body. Well, what for? What's my purpose? By the way, uh, I found at least 80 identity statements in the book of Ephesians alone. So I would encourage you care groups as you meet this afternoon or this week to look through the book of Ephesians and start identifying identity statements. We just brushed over it. Now, purpose statements. There's over 70 purpose statements in the book of Ephesians. Why did God pick you and set you apart and put you in the church? He gives you all kinds of reasons. But let's start with chapter 2, verse 7, part of our text. Purpose statement. <clears throat> we, uh, verse 6, he raised us up, seated us with Christ. Verse 7, so that. Every time you hear this, the phrase, so that, you know that God is going to teach you a reason for something. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Look at me. 
You have been chosen, made holy and righteous, adopted, placed in the body for the glory of Christ. You see, this is not about us. We are not able. We have no right to come into a room and say, here I am. We ought to be continually saying, look at him. It's about Christ and his his glory. So I want to talk about now the purpose of the church first, then we'll talk about the purpose of the individual. The purpose of the church is to display the riches. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, or 21. To him be glory in the church. So in the future, riches are displayed Now, glory is displayed in our purpose statement. What is our purpose statement? We exist to glorify God. That is not just a fancy term. That is a biblical command. That is the purpose statement comes right out of chapter 3, verse 21, is for the glory of God. What is the glory of God, by the way? Lots of ways to define it. But I, I like to use this term, to give other people a right opinion of Christ. When you glorify God, we live in, in relationship with one another so other people see him and the way he treats us. That's a purpose statement. <clears throat> well, that's what the church is for. Define the church. Called out people, building. When you think church building, what do you think? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, Christ is the foundation of the church. There's no other foundation that we can lay. It's Christ. Christ is also the cornerstone. You are living stones to fit in the church, and Christ is also the head, and guess who's in the church? We are in Him is all the fullness of Christ in the church. The church is all about Him, And the purpose of the church is to show His glory by His presence as you live your life. Turn to chapter 4. I'm I'm chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. From our text, purpose statement. Purpose statement. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's identity. For good works, that's purpose. We are saved and set apart for God, for God's glory, to live in the church, and we do that by good works. Well, what are the good works that he calls us to? Well, there's a myriad of them. And the good works in Ephesians start with chapter 4, and the rest of the book is all about what that application of that truth means. I'm going to pick just a couple. So go to chapter 4, verse 15. If the church itself is God's center for the display of his glory and he has placed you in the church to function within the body this is one way that those good works ought to play out chapter 4 verse 15 speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head here is a purpose statement for every single member of the body of Christ. Whether you have identified yourself as a church member or not, you are a member of the body of Christ. <clears throat> now, there's a problem with that, by the way. How can you say you're a part of Christ's body when you're not a part of Christ's body? That's, uh, that's a misnomer. That's like saying jumbo shrimp. 
Those two words don't go together. If you're in the body, you need to be a part of a local church and active in it, you see. Verse 15 says, you speak the truth in love. Well, who to? Who, you, who do you speak to? Zechariah says, they spake, they who loved the Lord, spake often one to another, and a book of remembrance was written. When you speak truth in love to other believers, God pays attention and puts you in a book. That is unbelievable to me. He's a part of your conversation, and he calls you to speak truth to other people in the body, in love. Grow up in every way into him. Your purpose is to become more like Christ and to seek Christ-likeness in your life. That's progressive sanctification. Into Christ. Luke 6, 40 says, when a disciple is fully trained, he's going to be like his master. That's your goal, your purpose in life. For whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Look up here. How does this work unless every piece of the body is listening to the direction of the head and is connected and in obedience and in harmony? It ain't going to happen unless we're connected. Our purpose in the church doesn't happen unless you are seeking the good of the whole. From whom the whole body joined together is equipped. Now, how is that? How, how is this joined together and equipped? Three words. When each part. That's you. That's your purpose. Each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the book ends here is speak the truth in love, build up yourselves in love, and you do it when each of us are working properly. That's your life purpose in the church. So bottom line, what, what is your purpose? Bottom line, it's this. You have been transformed from death to life. So, um, what is the purpose of the church? Glory. It's not about us. And it's about building others up for the sake of God's glory. We've been brought into a permanent relationship with Christ in the church, and our purpose is to build up the church and strengthen the church with our good works. So you might just draw a picture, again, of a church and of a body. And, uh, and now you're over here. You have to, uh, some way, do those good works. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see that the church needs you? My, my response is, I can't do this. I have nothing to offer. In fact, I think things like, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me to help. You would ask me to stay away. Well, there's hope here. There's hope in this. Chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body. God has made provision for His church to function 
And what he has done, what this passage is telling us, look, look at me, he's telling us that Christ is the head, and now he brings others to lead local churches and places them in headship. That's why our church has elders. Elders, our responsibility then is to bring you along and equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's what our Gospel Institute is about. That's what all this stuff out in the hallway is about, is to help you learn how to become more effective in speaking the truth in love and building each other up in love. That's our responsibility. That's why we ask you to come when you want to do ministry. Help us help you be equipped. Well, how, you say, I don't have anything to give. Well, that's good, because you don't. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. So in the, in the context of this passage, he says he gives you a gift. He says also he gives the church a gift. People, pastors, elders, shepherds, apostles and prophets were literally gifts to the church. And you are too. Every single person in here, I don't care how broken you are, if you identify with Christ as a follower, you have been given a gift to build up the body. So here's what it looks like. Dead person, made alive, given some kind of gift, and then gifted by God, gifted to the church so that you work within the church to build up the body for the glory of Christ. You cannot say that you do not have anything to offer the church accurately. What you, you can say, yes, in me I don't, but when God gives me something, I have what it takes, and He'll put me where it can be used. That's stunning to me. I have been transformed, you have been transformed, put into a permanent relationship with Christ in a permanent relationship with Christ's body with the gifted power to do whatever it is he asks. And it may be just sweeping floors. I think one of the greatest ways that this played out in, uh, in one um, family that I, I knew of, they, they showed up at their church. They had, they had been involved in ministry they wanted to come and help and serve the church. <clears throat> so they came to the elders of that church, and they said, here's who we are. Here's where we've served in the past. Our desire is to serve the church in some fashion. You're the leaders of the church. We believe Christ is the head and put you as my head. We want to submit to your leadership. You put us where you want us in the church. We'll do whatever you ask us to do. <clears throat> I believe that that's God's design, and I believe that that brings the greatest joy as the church exists to proclaim Christ as Lord and to prepare His people to worship Him forever. That's our purpose as we serve out good works. Well, what are you going to do? What is your response to this truth? How will you respond to this? To me, is the ultimate question. What do I do? Go to chapter 5. Verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, is, uh, is a pretty uh, amazing text. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, there's 
There is a response, imitate God. There is identity, beloved children, and walk in love. That's response and purpose, you see. As Christ loved us. So now, this is the command of God on my life because God has bought me and made me alive. He has commanded me to walk in love and love you like Christ loved. How is that? How did Christ love me? He gave himself and sacrificed. And so here's the bottom line. Here's what it looks like. Well, let me back up. What does love mean? Let me give you a definition that I think, for me anyway, has been very helpful. Love is other-focused. Love is other-focused, selfless giving for the eternal good of the other person. Love is other-focused. It's not, it's not I'm here. It's selfless giving. That's what Jesus did, Philippians 2. Why? For the eternal good of the other person. If you define your actions that way, you will be amazed at how it simplifies your life. So here, let me just act it out. This is the attitude, and this is the focus that I believe God calls you and me to have when we live in relationship with other people. It is other-focused. It is selfless serving and giving to the point of exhaustion so you will see Christ and come to know the joy and the fellowship of what it means to have been saved by a God of great love and mercy. It is my privilege to do that with you for Him. And when I do, to the extent that I am surrendered in this attitude is the extent that my joy soars. You might say, well, I can't do that. I, if, if you knew me, you might say, if my spiritual condition was physical, I would be in the ICU on life support. And to that I say, the church needs you to respond and fulfill your purpose. Now hear me. <clears throat> Hospitals don't work unless somebody comes and asks for care. What good is a hospital? What good is a doctor without someone coming saying, I'm broken, I need you? And so if you're on that end of the spectrum I love you, and I want you to know your church is called to love you, and we are committed to you, just as broken as you are. Please allow us to imitate God and care for you. That is our not only calling, that's not only our command, that is our passion, to weep with those who weep. Why? Because I know who I am. I was a dead person made alive. And I love loving people. Let me give you an illustration of how that works. 
broken, broken, broken people, glorifying God. I share this with permission. A woman came for counseling. She was so broken emotionally and abused and misused, she literally had a hard time making sense of life. She had so little understanding of the gospel that it wasn't clear if she was even a believer or not. <clears throat> Over a process of time, of a person being willing to say, I can't do anything, combined with a person who's saying, I want to speak the truth in love, this woman, well, at some point in the conversation over a period of weeks, the, the counselor said, uh, um, I think you have an identity problem. I don't think you know who you are. And she says, that's it. That's what's wrong with me. Well, long story short, Life went from not even sure if she's alive to not only is this woman alive, she is involved in her church, another community, another, not Bethany. She's involved in ministry in her church, doing with others, serving others the way she was served before. So there's no, you cannot go out of this room and say you can't. You cannot go out of this room and say I'm too broken. It's not true. You can glorify God even if you are totally immobile spiritually, even if you're an unbeliever. And when you let God show you the hope and the riches and the power of Christ in your life, you will know who you are. You will know why you're here. And you will, with joy, find the strength to respond in love. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We stand in awe of you because of what you have done for us. And our desire is to come together and love each other because you have first loved us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.